0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of The Takeaway, brought to you by Football Outsiders, where we comb the NFL landscape, we scour the internet for takes all across football landscape, put them on the meter to see just how hot they are, and if they've got a kernel of truth in there. My name is Cal Clinton, with me as always is my co-host, Jackson Robert, Jackson, how are we doing today?
1: We are great. I I like all the synonyms you found right there, Kale. We peruse the internet landscape. We scale the depths of the internet caverns. I think that is what we have done this week, and I am excited to share it with our viewers. Yes, we
0: have a little bit of an interesting wrinkle this week. No Thursday night football takeaway because... I don't think either of these teams super cared about this game. There's not much more to say about the Dallas Cowboys that we haven't already said in recent weeks. And with their starting rosters that we saw, uh, yeah, if they didn't seem to care too much, uh, maybe we shouldn't either. So that leads us into our headlines, which come from a very interesting place this week. Instead of doing uh, the usual... Uh, pull from NFL pundits, shows, podcasts. We've taken the liberty of coming through the actual people involved in the NFL. Uh, there's not another way to say it. We got <laughs> takes from players. We got a briefer way takes. to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got takes from NFL front office people across the board that kind of hit on. You know, the main trending storylines of the week, kind of just their own takes. It's an interesting little curveball. It's an all NFL week for us in headlines.
1: I, I'm excited about it. We, we did our due diligence. We know who's in the league with some takes. It's not just media people. Everyone's got takes.
0: Everyone's got an opinion, and it's time the people who play the game get heard. Let's kick it off in Denver. Obviously, following the news of Nathaniel Hackett's firing this week, the next logical step is what happens with Russell Wilson. Well, General Broncos, well, Broncos general manager George Payton came to the mic and said, Russ is fixable. The exact quote, It's about the entire organization. It's not whether Russ is fixable. We do believe he is. We do. Talking about seeing flashes of Russell Wilson. And Jackson. Some of the players seem to corroborate that take as well.
1: Well, there were some, I mean, let's be honest. People have been taking shots at poor old Russell Wilson all season long. Uh, Whether it's deserved or not, the guy has had... Truly an awful performance dip. But I will say, he's had a lot of people rushing to his defense this week. People have called him out for a number of weird things. Uh, Most recently, uh, I believe it was a Barstool blog about how he has an office at the Broncos facility and they found something off-putting or weird about that. And Garrett Bowles, Broncos offensive lineman, Jerry Judy and KJ Hambler, two of Russ's receivers, all take to Twitter with vehement defenses of their quarterback. Uh, In particular, uh, Judy, I believe it was, saying he has an office because he works so hard. Uh, He's one of the best leaders I've been around. So not to say that all of this will lead to better play on the field, but it is interesting and also interesting not just to see that these players defend their quarterback, but the official Broncos Twitter account retweeting all of them. An interesting process for an NFL football team on social media.
0: Well, Jackson, let's get back to the main take, because that is, it is fascinating that in such a concentrated week, I mean, we've seen a lot from Denver where guys are getting into fights on the sidelines there's some shouting matches. Still remember that picture of Melvin Gordon kind of glaring at Russ on the bench during one of those games. There's been a bit of animosity in the mix there. So it's interesting to see that, you know, especially with the the additional report of like the half the team showed up to Russ's birthday or whatever. Like there's always been some weird, weird locker room stuff going on with the Broncos this year. But it has seemed to return to form, which makes me ask the question, Jack. Russ is fixable. Put it on the meter.
1: I'm trying to do uh, a little more of the the kale thing with the meter this week. So I'm going to put it on cold Uh, and I'm going to say cold because I I don't find it impossible, but I don't think I agree with the general gist of it. Um, Russ can be better. I don't think there's any doubt it it can only go up from here. One would think, Uh, because if you just look at basic stats, our stats, I mean, DVOA has Russ in the bottom six or seven of, every major category that we track whether that's passing DVOA whether that's effective yards whether that's DYAR whether those numbers are unadjusted for competition I mean everything is bad he is however still fifth in deep passing DVOA so if there's one saving grace to Russ's game he still throws a pretty deep ball I'm not going to say that Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are star receivers or superstar receivers, but they are very good football players in their own right. KJ Hamler can be a decent three. I don't know if Tim Patrick is looking to be back for 2023. I hope so. Uh, There's a lot that still can be accomplished in the deep passing game to at least make this a respectable offense, but can Russ ever return to peak Russ form? The guy that's been to nine Pro Bowls, Super Bowl MVP, all that stuff. Not feeling it at the moment. I don't think he was MVP, by the way. No, he was not, to be clear. But he won a Super Bowl. He's never gotten a vote, Jackson. That was no, kind no, no, of the no. whole Super thing, remember? Super Super Bowl MVP, oh, but he it, didn't win it because uh KJ Wright had a pick six. So God it was okay. no Super Bowl MVP. My misunderstanding
0: there. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you in the sense that like I'd almost put this in freezing. Because I feel like the one part of Russell Wilson's game. Or, like, the one part that is so ingrained in Wilson is that he's been a pretty, not one note is the wrong word, but a one-offense guy. It's working on the outside. There's a reason he keeps getting beat by cover twos. Like, he can't throw over the middle at all. Like, he's super all or nothing. He works all along the sidelines. Like, there is one passing attack that greatly benefits Russell Wilson. And there's one specific kind of passing attack. You can get Russell Wilson potentially back to, like you can get the passing efficiency numbers up if you have an offense that ingrains well and like meshes well with Wilson. I also think that they have some larger issues they need to address on the offensive line. I think there is a real reevaluation we also need to do with Broncos wide receivers. I understand that there's been injuries to both Judy and Sutton this year, and they've both missed certain bits of time. But just when you look at what the, you know, a lot of people thought that this was going to be a really potent unit, like a really strong tandem in Judy and Sutton. Sutton's 45th in wide receiver DVOA, He's 41st in uh, receiving DYAR. Judy's having a better season, 16th in DVOA, 18th in DYAR. But Judy's also not really the explosive guy that we thought he'd be. We, he's not, you know, a wor- like a world-beating receiver. And that's a thing that can grow with time. But the receiver core isn't up to snuff. And it'll help having Javante Williams back. But, like, there's things you can do to add and build around Russ to get him better. But like you said, they're never going to get back to like what is it? Thirteen to six uh like thirteen to fifteen Russ? Thirteen to sixteen Russ. Or
1: that even, window I mean, in there, there number one in uh a grade by a certain uh metric of a website that we don't uh use the metrics of in general. But in twenty nineteen he was number one in uh in those grading stats, uh shall we say. And now he's twenty yeah. seventh this year. He's dropped off that fast. So he's like, 17 through 19, Russ, was really, really good. 2020, Russ, the Seahawks almost got the one seed in the NFC, and it's just dipped off faster than we could almost imagine. I think the biggest dip for
0: him is going to come in the fact that he just can't really run as well anymore. And his decision-making is a little bit poor. Because I feel like a lot of those scrambles come on, like, how many times in, like, game, like, was it the Chiefs game or is it a game-winning situation? His scramble basically runs out the clock and shoots them in the foot to win that game.
1: It can't have been the Chiefs game because he got concussed. So, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to remember what game you're talking about as well. But I, I, I'm sure it happened.
0: It, it's late in the game. Oh, God, I wish I could remember. You know what I'm it's, – it's a very obvious game in my mind. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Uh, but, like, it's, it's poor decision-making when it comes to the running. And he's not just a full, like – improvisational quarterback anymore so that really hurts him that was a huge part of his game as a young player he was a dual threat guy and he can't be dual threat anymore it's a little too short to be being a true pocket passer so he's got to do some improv like he's got to do some improvisational stuff he's got to get outside the pocket he's got to be able to attack those sort of you know like deep shots where his guys can get open I just don't think it's possible. Like I think you can I think you can improve the floor with which he's working on. I just don't think you can ever match that ceiling again.
1: Yeah, and the one other thing, I mean, you you bring up good points all around with the weaponry. I think the other obvious point that you can at least attempt to fix is the offensive line, which is 31st in adjusted sack rate in the NFL right now. Uh, Not that this was supposed to be an all-world offensive line, but I don't think it was meant to be a bottom-five offensive line. Nobody builds a line to be a bottom-five offensive line. Um, Garrett Bowles, I wouldn't say, has performed up to snuff. And his, uh, what is he, the, well, he's been hurt for most of the year, but he's left tackle as well. Uh, So Cameron Fleming stepping in for him hasn't necessarily been great there. Uh, Quinn Miner is a guy that I love a d3 guy uh, he's been good but not necessarily life-changing uh, Dalton Risner who got into the fight uh, on the uh, sidelines last week with Brett Rippin I would say uh, can can cut down on his blown block rate as well so there's whether that's names that are in the building guys like Garrett Bowles getting healthy again or just Drafting on the offensive line now you can't draft them in the first round but you have other draft picks they, uh, have, one. they have one obviously you could address
0: they have a one from San Francisco they still have a first yeah. round pick it True. just won't be the close to top five they would be getting uh, and like you said Jackson that kind of all adds up to a not just bottom five offensive line a second worst in the league offensive line by pass protection thirty first in adjusted sack rate has allowed 57 sacks this year. That leads the league. That is a tough, tough go for this Denver Broncos offensive line in a conference that's got uh, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Bosa, Khalil Mack, uh, Max Crosby, and uh, Chandler Jones. Like, that is a crazy, crazy a uh, murderer's row of linebackers, pass rushers to go against. You've got to be able to protect your quarterback in doing so, and they really haven't been able to.
1: Enough said. I think Is there's a lot. Not fully, but yeah. you, can, you can make things better around the periphery to at least make him a respectable NFL quarterback again. Yeah,
0: he was actively playing himself out of any sort of potential hall of fame conversation at all uh like if there was even like a sterling argument to make which there wasn't you'd have an uphill battle making anything but any sort of argument now is uh if you
1: if you want a freezing cold take uh russell wilson after winning a super bowl in his second year as an nfl quarterback the story goes that he lifted the trophy And then he brought it back down and said, I want to win six more of these to one-up Michael Jordan. That was a freezing cold take. Good
0: stuff indeed. Let's stay on the West Coast and move down to Arizona. Cliff Kingsbury getting in a bit of hot water in Arizona. They've already parted ways with general manager Steve Kime, who had previously stepped away for health reasons, that quickly turned from an indefinite leave of absence to a permanent leave of absence. Now the seed is heating up underneath Cliff. However, one interesting fact is that a bit of a story has come out in ESPN essentially claiming that Kingsbury has not had the weapons necessary to compete cliff kingsbury joined the cardinals in 2019 made the playoffs just once never finished better than second in the division with an 11 and 6 record only had one season above 500 losing seasons kind of bookend his tenure thus far most recent season this year guaranteed losing season entry season 5 10 and 1 Jackson, this team has also made some splashes. You know, they move on from Rosen, drafting Kyler Murray. They trade for DeAndre Hopkins. They trade for Zach Ertz. Might be getting a bit over my hey, skis here and giving the game away, but Jackson Kingsbury has not had the weapons to succeed in Arizona. Put it on the meter.
1: Doing the kale thing again. It's going back to cold. I'm not going all the way to freezing. His one saving grace in making this argument, Kale, is that they have played zero games together as a full offense this year. That does not excuse them for being one of the absolute worst offenses in the league. 29th in offensive DVOA. Last year, a year that, you know, as we said, they were the toast of the league at one point. Started out the season 8-0, eventually 10-2. Uh, they only finished 15th in offensive DVOA last year. The air raid revolutionary offensive guru, Cliff Kingsbury, has never really come to pass. It's always been a tick underwhelming. But this year, DeAndre Hopkins misses the first six games due to suspension. By the time he's back, you're dealing with injuries to Hollywood Brown. Rondale Moore's in and out of the lineup. Zach Ertz ends up missing the entire second half of the season. They haven't played a full game as a full offense. But that being said, I mean, this article also gets into the dynamic between Cliff and Kyler Murray and just the entire coaching style and management style of Cliff Kingsbury. And there there comes about a sense that he's just really not the authority able to put his foot down and criticize the people that need to be called out face to face. And that is, I think, I mean, I don't want to say from my far off perspective, but that's the reason that things haven't panned out for Cliff Kingsbury, but he's, he's using kind of a shadow, uh, source, uh, somebody in his camp to, to put out all this information into the story that things haven't worked out in his favor, but every team deals with injuries, you know, circumstances go wrong for one reason or another. If you're the offensive guru, if you're the coach who's supposed to come in and, you know, light it up with points and then air it out. You're not going to be the 29th ranked offense in the league, no matter who's under center for you, no matter who's playing wide receiver for you. Cliff Kingsbury has had ample opportunity at this point to prove he belongs.
0: I am going to put this. It's not quite cold. It's not quite freezing. Would it be like frosty? Would it be like freezer burn? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know where I'd put this, but it's very cold. Uh, Jackson, I liked Frosty. Every, every year that the Cardinals have had Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach, they've made a massive play at skill position players in the draft. They kick it off by just lighting a 2018 first round pick on fire, by moving on from Josh Rose and taking Kyler Murray, which I do respect when you know you don't have the guy. You get rid of the guy, and you move on, especially when you're in a good position to take a guy one overall like Kyler Murray. That's fine. They then take Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson, a trio of wide receivers in day two and three of that draft, as well as drafting tight end Caleb Wilson. 2020, they don't take a guy in any sort of skill position until the seventh round. That seventh rounder just happened to be Eno Benjamin, though who's been a pretty solid piece in reserve when he was able to get reps. Rondell Moore was the main guy in 2021, 2022. They take Trey McBride, uh, Trey McBride. has been a now starting tight end because of the arts injury and Keontae Ingram in total between the draft free agency trades. The running back room has been, A combination of Kenyon Drake, David Johnson, Chase Edmonds, James Conner, Eno Benjamin, Keontae Ingram, and Daryl Williams. Wide receivers have had some collection of Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, Demir Bird, Michael Crabtree, DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, A.J. Green, Hollywood Brown. The tight end room has been like Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, Dan Arnold, Max Williams, like listen, I'm not saying this is a this is an all-star roster.
1: But yeah, I'm saying you're in while we're at it, kale, throw all the names out there. I'm just trying to say
0: that like your team is trading first-rounders for Hollywood brand. They're moving multiple pieces to get a top 10 guy in DeAndre Hopkins. You like same with Zach Ertz. You have a basically top 10 fringe top 10 tight end in Zach Ertz on your team you keep consistently hitting on running backs like I get at some point it all doesn't work out but when you've had this revolving door of talent maybe it's your fault maybe it's your offense like and and, you know they're also you know they're not totally neglecting the offensive line either like they make the move for Rodney Hudson like They're doing a lot of different stuff to try and at least not make it like Kyler Murray's got to do the little yakety sacks run that he does where it looks like he's like a Flintstones character trying to start a car every time he runs. But you're giving your team ample weapons to succeed. You can't say with all of these moves with more than a dozen wide receivers coming through the door veteran wide receivers mind you for the most part in two years and some homegrown guys as well, you can't say that you've had this amount of just talent in your building and say that, yeah, I haven't had enough. Your general manager, your front office, Steve Kime, formerly, but your team is actively trying to get you pieces, and you can't turn the corner. At some point, it does become a you problem.
1: Yeah. First of all, I'd like to apologize for my random ricochet shot at Jared Aberderis, who I think I mistook for Greg Dorch. Aberderis been out of the league for five years. So I, I, think, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, they've made some moves on the offensive line here and there. Uh, Justin Pugh, one of Kyler Murray's most uh, vocal defenders this year, he even goes out on IR, uh, the left guard position, by the middle of the season. So there have been some injuries there. Um, But yeah, every offseason, every single offseason, they've tried to load up the offense to try and give Cliff Kingsbury the weapons that, you know, he can build an air raid style top of the league type of offense around. And if you've had four years and consistent effort from the front office, not that it's always worked out, but four years, consistent effort from the front office, and the best you produced is the 15th ranked offense in the league, time to move on. Yeah, my issue,
0: too, is I get the injury complaint. But, like, you know, look at the Rams this year. There were stretches where they didn't have Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson. Uh, like, like they're missing a lot of pieces in and out. Allen Robinson goes down for the year. But you find a guy like Ben Skoronek who steps up and does something really good. You find a guy like a Choo at Like, I'm not saying these guys are great. I'm saying they're serviceable. I'm saying the Patriots' lead receiver for the last three years was an undrafted free agent in Jacoby Myers. Like, there's ways to find depth pieces to supplement your roster. And you spend picks on Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson. You pick up guys like Farrow Cooper and Michael Crabtree and Greg Dortch. And if they're not – like, like maybe that's a fault of the front office, but, like, there are better coaches who make athletes – Like serviceable. Like there's a guy, like there are better coaches that make serviceable players out of late round draft picks. And Cliff Kingsbury, maybe it's like, maybe it's the offense. Maybe they've just had a bad front office pick bad players late. And like, but those are throwaway picks at that point, whatever. But you pick them for a reason. Like you've got to be able to convert these guys into serviceable players. I know you don't have your world beaters, but there's a lot of times like, you know, look at the rest of your competition. Tampa Bay has a lot of injury turnover. Green Bay, even when losing uh when losing Devontae Adams, like still had injury issues in their receiving room and they're getting it done. Detroit hasn't had uh, Amon Ross and Brown healthy all year, and they're finding ways to get like Khalif Raymond and you know DJ Chark, who's also been hurt, get involved in the stretches. Like worse teams than or like less skilled teams than you are finding ways to get guys in the mix, and you just can't. It's a pretty consistent failure over the course of your four-year tenure to say that, yeah, we don't have our top guys, therefore, like, the whole system's moved.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think you pretty much said it all. Cliff, um, you're welcome to come be the offensive coordinator of the Patriots next year. I would welcome that. but uh, Patriots. Former Tom Brady backup quarterback. But as as far as uh, getting another shot with the Cardinals next year and having more capital placed into making things work in, in, in Cliff Kingsbury's a- office in Arizona, I uh, don't see that happening.
0: Sticking in the NFC, going to Minnesota. Justin Jefferson's been coming with some heat. We had some options. The other one was Jefferson kind of staking his own claim for an MVP vid uh, for like an MVP campaign, kind of like how the, uh, you know, the Oscars do the uh, letters to the Academy or like the four-year consideration stuff. Justin Jefferson. However, we picked his more altruistic take his, is more uh, selfless take <laughs>
1: Jackson. He's
0: putting Kirk cousins up there on the MVP podium.
1: Sure enough. Kale, <laughs> uh, Justin Jefferson takes Twitter this week. Uh, he sees a clip from one of these ESPN shows. I can't tell from the clip exactly which it is. I th- no, it's first take. I can see from the background now. Uh, and he says, all the Kurt criticism has to stop. I understand y'all hate the dad swag, but come on. His numbers are right with y'all's MVP candidates. So... We can talk about FO stats. We can talk any, any stats we want traditional passing stats. I don't particularly care how we frame it, but kale, is there any rational world where Kirk cousins should be considered in the MVP discussion? Put it on the meter.
0: Jackson, it it pains me. It pains me. Uh, no, no, there isn't. Uh, Let's start with this. MVP is a pretty narrative-driven award. It's part performance, but also part narrative. You need you need the stats to back it up. But typically it's, you know, it parts with the greater storyline of the league. Jackson, what's the Vikings' narrative this season? In my eyes. Want you to tell me. <laughs> in my eyes, it's the fact that they've grossly overperformed. Their, uh, or underperformed their record. Uh, they've won a lot of games they shouldn't. They have this incredible streak, uh, or at least had in early games, uh, just constantly winning out in one score games that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, miraculous comebacks. They've had some crazy swings in, uh, what can only be described as luck turnover regression. Uh, like fumbles bouncing their way teams kind of collapsing, like Indianapolis down the stretch. That's not like that doesn't bode well for a super bowl. Uh, And I went back and looked at every MVP since Adrian Peterson won, which dates back to 2013 for pocket passing quarterbacks using our metrics, the lowest, an MVP quarterback has ever finished is Matt Ryan in 2017, who finished seventh in DYAR and ninth in passing DVOA.
1: Now, Kale, with your metrics, Kale, but he definitely won it in 16, not 17. Well, they
0: named the MVP award like the 2017 MVP. Matt Ryan played the 2016 season. They award it weird. I'm I'm going off Wikipedia. Sue me, uh, Newton. When he won his MVP, finished 11th in DYAR and 12th in DVOA, but he also led quarterbacks in rushing DVOA and combined for 45 touchdowns on the year. Kirk Cousins, 12th in DYAR, 17th in DVOA. He doesn't come close to matching that threshold. And the benefit that Matt Ryan had was his team went lights out that year, won the NFC. I think they were 15-1, and remind me. It was very up. It was very up there. They had very few losses. I think they lost to the Panthers in their one loss. Uh, but regular season wise, one of the best teams in the NFC.
1: <laughs>
0: and while Minnesota's up there, like if you were gonna go the anecdotal route, Jalen Hurts is the much better case.
1: Yeah, I mean, anecdotes mainly center around fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, Big-time throws, which is uh, another metric that is kept uh, by a certain website that uh, we we don't talk about as much on this show, but it is kept. Uh, Other than that, though, it is really almost impossible to find a statistical case. I do understand that Cousins has performed well in big moments. He's also made some really bad throws in a lot of these games that have led to the need to make big-time plays in big moments. You think about... Uh, for, for example, the Buffalo game makes some incredible throws in the fourth quarter to Jefferson uh, and some good ones in overtime as well. He also throws a first down interception right to a Bills cornerback where there's no receiver within 20 yards of it. Uh, he gets his foot stepped on multiple times by his uh, left guard, which is something that seems to only happen to Kirk Cousins. Uh, he also fumbles or doesn't doesn't convert the fourth and goal from the one yard line. Uh there's a lot of things, and you even think about this most recent Vikings comeback. He throws two picks in that game, uh, makes some incredible throws to set up the, the game, tying and winning drives as well. Uh, but narratively, the case pretty much exclusively centers around the comebacks. Uh, and it's not just Jefferson, I should point out, that's making this case. Uh, we almost, if we hadn't done this purely uh, league personnel for the headlines this week, we would have gone to a Kyle Brandt clip. Uh, from Good Morning Football where he essentially makes the case for him. Uh, So perhaps, Kale, you can play a little snippet of that right now.
0: Yeah, why not run it?
2: It is okay to talk about the Vikings and say Kirk Cousins is excellent. It's okay. Jamie in the earlier show made a compelling case that Justin Jefferson should be considered for MVP and I respect it. Peter King, who I respect and read every week, listed 10 players that he would vote for for MVP Cousins name nowhere on the list um, I get very opinionated about Kirk Cousins so let me just stick to the facts Kirk Cousins in the middle of the season setting an NFL record for fourth quarter comebacks Kirk Cousins fourth quarter stats are astronomical Kirk Cousins has fewer interceptions than Josh Allen and Joe Burrow Kirk Cousins defense is woeful statistically Kirk Cousins offensive line is woeful statistically no quarterback in the last 20 plus years is getting hit more than Kirk Cousins. Yet Kirk Cousins is 12 and 3. His wide receiver is on pace to break Megatron's record. Um, Justin Jefferson is an excellent player. So was Devontae Adams the last couple of years when the MVP was handed to Aaron Rodgers like it was no big deal. I am not here for this prejudice against Kirk Cousins that has existed, and it is in in our systems, and our blood as football media people, and it comes from a lot of things. The corniness of his personality, the size of his paychecks, years ago, years-old losses that he suffered on prime time, even in different organizations and different eras and different head coaches. Turn in Kirk Cousins now with fresh eyes on a Sunday and make sure it's in the fourth quarter when quarterbacks really show who they are. You will not see a quarterback playing better in the entire NFL this year in the biggest moments. The stats bore it out, the eye test wears it out, and there's still no love for him. I apologize for nothing. Kirk Cousins is excellent. I believe in him in the playoffs, and uh, I will not stop believing him. I wish some other people would start. What?
0: Okay, where to start? Uh, Kirk Cousins having his worst year by DVOA uh, as a Viking uh, since his first season. Uh, that's a good place to start. It kind of recently... Uh, developed and like improved but uh not much better uh like it recently eclipsed it would have been the worst a long time ago uh let's see here fourth quarter and overtime offensive DVOA Minnesota's 12th Ugh, Kyle uh late and close they're 24th in DVOA not much better. Offensive line. Listen, Rayshon Slater's been hurt. He's their corner piece. Like, I like him a lot as a prospect. I can't believe we also had uh, Rayshon Slater, Penny Sewell, same draft. I think that was Elijah Vera Tucker as well. Uh, Jackson, by pass protection, Minnesota's 16th in the league by our metrics. Justin Sackrate at 6.9%. Uh, maybe you're being a little hyperbolic Kyle. Uh, a guy who I watch frequently. Uh, good Morning cool. NFL, like constantly on the radar for me. Kyle Brand, Jason McCoy, Peter Schrager. Uh, like, really yeah, like know. watching the show. Okay, I mean, I I I don't remember the new host name. I really liked when Kay Adams was on there. I yeah. it escapes my mind. I don't know yeah, if you Thank you for that save. But uh Yeah, really good show. Uh you're you're making a bad faith argument, Kyle. He's not like that great. Also. I'd say, I'm doing math in my head here, but yards before catch, 1,149 for Justin Jefferson, which is good. Also has an additional 607 yards after the catch, which while he's had, like, the yards before catch is a new record for him. It's a pretty big jump in yards after the catch per reception for him. It's just below what he did his rookie season. But it's still very high compared to last year. And he's got a shorter average depth of target on those things. So he's getting more volume before the catch on shorter passes. And he's doing more of the ball after the catch than he has in recent years. Actually, Kirk Cousins is
1: getting a lot of help. He's getting more help than Kyle Brand is letting off. I agree. And he's also, I mean, for simple QB metrics, uh, he's 13th in passer rating and 20th in QBR. Ah, uh, these are numbers that MVP voters are very aware of, and nobody who's been that low in both metrics has sniffed an MVP award before. So it just is what it is. He's, you know, he's he's quarterback to twelve and three football team. As said, uh, weird anecdote to be like less interceptions than who was it, jo- Joe Burrow and Josh Allen? Like he's okay. Like <laughs> interceptions are if it's, if it's a one interception difference, I don't necessarily care all that much. If, if the touchdowns are higher, if the completion percentage is higher, whatever. Um, yeah, it's, I I don't want to go as far as to say it's a bad faith argument, but it is a bad argument. I fully agree with that. It's
0: it's not a bad argument. It's just a, it's a little dishonest. Also, uh, by completion percentage, uh, I'm just looking at pro football references splits right now. Uh, Kirk Cousins has his second best quarter by completion percentage in the fourth quarter. He does have a ton of touchdowns. He has 59 first downs, which is just shy of his second quarter mark of 62. He has a 12 to three touchdown to interception ratio in the fourth quarter, which would also be by far his best. And his 104.8 passer rating would be his best Also takes a ton of sacks, though. I would imagine that's because he's extending plays and trying to create stuff downfield, which is why his 13 sacks is just a hair shy over his 12 sacks taken in the third quarter and 11 taken in the second. And his his average yards per attempt, uh, or adjusted yards per attempt, rather, is highest in the fourth quarter. So there is some credence to the fourth quarter stuff, but collectively... The offense doesn't perform spectacularly by DVOA. Justin Jefferson's doing a lot on his own. The abysmal offensive line isn't as abysmal as is being let on. I don't love it.
1: Yeah, He's he's a great extension of the team. You look at his stats, you wonder how his team has the record that they do. You look at the team's overall stats, you wonder how they have the record that they do. 25th in team DVOA. 6.0 6.0 expected wins, and yet they have 12. I mean, that has to be a record. I've never seen a team with double the wins over expectation. And going over to Kirk Cousins' side, you know, 12th in DVOA, or 12th in DYA, or 17th in DVOA. Uh, and then as far as some traditional stats go, again, he's 15th in completion percentage. He is, I believe, yeah, 20th in yards per attempt. Like, it doesn't add up. But they are where they are, so we, we we have to keep talking about them every week. Well,
0: speaking of talking about it every week, football outsiders cannot be the arbiter of the take landscape. Wouldn't be fair if we're going out and digging up all these extra quotes from not only media people but now NFL people without putting our own website to the test, our own publication to the test. It's time to do one of our own. This week – We've got Brian Knowles up. He put out his all-rookie team for 2022. And there's a relatively, not unknown, but lesser spoken about rookie running back. They got some Sean Knowles' eyes, Jackson.
1: Do you know who it is, Kale? I, I suppose you do, if you're doing the lead-up to the take. But let me tell you, Kale. People think about rookie running backs. Brees Hall comes in early in the season, takes the league by storm. He ends up getting uh, injured, which is obviously a travesty. Uh, you have guys like Damian Pierce, Kenneth Walker, really establishing themselves as bell cow backs. And hey, even Isaiah Pacheco's done some really good work in the second half of the season with Kansas City. But no, you know who's number five overall in DYAR among running backs this season, Kale, Atlanta Falcons. Rookie running back Tyler Algier, fifth-round pick out of BYU. That is who Brian Knowles is tabbed as his all-rookie team running back. Put it on the meter. You see, listen,
0: it's not too hot just because I was doing some research on Green Bay, Miami, and I was like, yeah, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, by far the best running back tandem in the league, the only running back ten, or the only running back room in the league with two running backs in the top ten of both DVOA and DYAR. And I go to confirm that. Uh, because I knew Dylan and Jones were both ranked high. Say what's right in between them. Tyler Algier. Algier Cordell Patterson, part of the most dynamic, one of them, most dynamic running back rooms. In football. And what does surprise me, Jackson, is just on volume. You know how much Atlanta loves to run. They do it a lot. And yet, the fact that those numbers are still so high, the fact that Algier is still sixth in DVOA and Cordell Patterson is second in DVOA with their usage that high is really, really surprising to me. And you just go down the rest of our running back licks, list, and no one really compares, like Kenneth Walker, not close to being up here. Uh, Brice, like Brees Hall's obviously uh, fallen off. He would have been up here, but even still, like small sample size, Algiers not that far off of what Brees Hall was producing by DVOA. Brees Hall was twenty or like twenty two ish percent. Algier's 15.1. He's 6th in the league. He's doing fantastically right now. It's really good to see. I do wish, sidebar, that uh, like the NBA, uh, if you miss your rookie season, the first year you play counts as your rookie season. So I'd like to have had Travis Etienne in this mix to see if he could kind of get his due. But even still, wouldn't compare like Algiers, you know, two and a half X'd him in DYAR and Antiana's a negative DVOA right now.
1: Yeah. Well said. I would I would say that looking into the volume stats makes you think harder about this take than you would have. Because in your mind, is he the Bell Cow back in Atlanta? Not whatsoever, right? Because they have Cornell Patterson. But they are one of the more run heavy teams in football, and he's been healthy the entire season. So when it comes down to it, he has comparable rushing attempts, comparable rushing yards to guys like Damian Pierce, uh, Kenneth Walker. He actually has more rushing yards than Kenneth Walker and fewer than 100 less than Damian Pierce. So he's right in that ballpark in terms of the overall volume. I know touchdowns are important in in a sense for running backs, and he's only got two of them, so that maybe hurts his case a little bit, but. You talked about the efficiency. It's pretty hard to compare to what Tyler Algiers done from an efficiency standpoint. If you talk about the other rookie running backs, you can even throw a Brian Robinson in there who's come on as of late, but the yards per attempt are down. The touchdown production hasn't been there. So I'm all right with this. I I Maybe I wouldn't do it myself, but you can put Tyler Algiers as the running back. It's surprising to me when I first think about the take, but I look into it and Brian, you've convinced me that it's plausible.
0: My one detraction from this take, like, and like you said, he's not the, he's not like a bell cow, bell cow back, but he does lead the team in touches by a lot. Like it's a, it's 180 plus touches, which is crazy volume. My one wrinkle is he doesn't score two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. Brees Hall has more touchdowns than him in seven weeks than Algier has all on, on the season. Kenneth Walker's got nine touchdowns. Uh, like, it's just a usage. Like, it's not a usage thing for me. It's just like, like I can see argument against him and just not really being that complete package, but also like, maybe that's just an Atlanta thing because Julio Jones was one of the best <laughs> Wide receivers in football didn't really score touchdowns toward the end. Uh, Kyle Pitts refuses refused to find the end zone or get end zone targets early in his uh, early in his rookie tenure and sophomore tenure for that matter.
1: Yeah, you can you can spend a lot of time looking through. Uh, the Atlanta stat page trying to figure out who it is that's scoring all the touchdowns for them before you realize that they're mostly just kicking field goals when they get down in the red zone. Um, And yeah, I mean, even Cordell Patterson uh, has six touchdowns to the two that Algier has, and he's missed four games along the way. So clearly, he's not the red zone back. But you talk about playing a role as a fifth-round rookie, you talk about surpassing expectations, earning yourself more looks in year two. He's absolutely done it, and that's why I, I'd probably go Walker myself just for the touchdown productions, because I do think that's important. When you get down in the red zone, you need a back who can punch it in, and Walker's done that, but I'm perfectly all right with putting Algier as the running back on the hypothetical all-rookie team.
0: I certainly see the logic. I, I, th- I think it's a not really diamond in the rough pick. By uh, Brian Knowles, but I respect the fact that he just didn't go kind of, uh, you know, wisdom of the crowd uh, with chalk. chalk. yeah, better way of saying it. Way fewer syllables. <laughs> Moving on to fantasy, but sticking in the FO end of the wheelhouse. Got a buddy, Tom. Strack is back. Doing a lot for us in the daily fantasy sports realm of things. Jackson. Who did you pick out this week as Strax?
1: Maybe a little surprising pick. Yeah, maybe maybe a hotter take of the takes that we've uh, came with so far because he's got the entire wide world of quarterback options to pull from, right? Why, oh, why, Tom Strachan, have you decided to go with a man who disappointed me on this very show only two weeks ago and won Aaron Rodgers. Kale, read us a little snippet from t lovely
0: article. My pleasure, Jackson. At this time of year, it is often best to look for players with motivation rather than lose on teams who are ready for the end of the season. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers certainly have motivation. Everything has gone right for the Packers in recent weeks, and now if they continue winning, they can squeeze into the playoffs. The Vikings. Have allowed the third most QB one performances, with five of the last six quarterbacks to play them finishing ninth or better this week. The Vikings' defense is 24th in DVOA against the pass, and
1: if the Packers turn up ready to play, things could get fun. So Aaron Rodgers, viable play in whatever format you're playing this weekend, Kale. Please put that on the meter.
0: <sighs> oh, listen, I know. I listen. I know the topics we get before the show and yet, like, when you give me these hard ones to put on the meter, I I grimace, because I, like, it's like a split thing for me, where it's like...
1: All your preparation just goes out the window when you're on the spot.
0: Exactly. It... This week, this... It's such a tough spot, man, because I like it. I like the pick a lot because of, like, it's... I like it from an opponent-adjusted perspective because of just how poor Minnesota's secondary is, the fact that the i uh, the opposing offense is really potent and like it can get to a high scoring game. I'm not sure I'm going to be like hammering overs this week in green Bay, Minnesota, but I like it on premise. <laughs> the thing to me is though. Listen, I, I watch film, but I get my best taste of guys when I get the any given Sunday assignment, when I break down like a given game for the week, just because I spend so much time with that film, it sticks with me a little bit more than just like, you know, breezing through another game or like another like half of a game, because I usually watch like 1-0 versus 1D. Uh, but it sticks at me a little bit more uh when I do it for any given Sunday. And the Green Bay Packers had it some and any given Sunday this week. And they weren't great offensively. Like Roger, the thing that kills me is like Rogers threw some dimes. Like through Mercedes Lewis and over the shoulder ball that gets like right here and only right here. Like it, the defender that had uh, Lewis on what I think is a wheel, uh, or but just it was just a, a, a route going up the sidelines, kind of draped on his back and Lewis is able to haul it in. Same ball happened to Lazard, I think, like 32 yards downfield. Uh, like he can still throw dots, but just other parts of this game, Miami hasn't had a good defense, especially in the passing game by GVOA this year. And Rodgers, like, wasn't really able to execute. The thing that won the Packers that game were those three turnovers. And the fact that those three consecutive turnovers came, the Packers offense, like, really wasn't able to do anything with it. Like, they moved the ball pretty tepidly. They settled for field goals. And they settled for field goals in a game where they also went three for five on fourth down. Like, they went for it three different times on fourth down. I get worried about Rodgers as a passer. I feel like a lot of this is going to come for the running back tandem of Dylan and Jones, especially since they got, they're coming off a game where they got shut down by Miami last week. I think they try and find some new creative wrinkles to get two of their best offensive players active. I like it. It's a bit of a tougher sell for me. If we're looking at this list and see – if I see – the high price for Fields against the Lions, I see a, low, a lower price for Purdy than Rodgers is against the Raiders. I like both of those two options better than I like Rodgers, but I kind of like the logic of Rodgers in the opponent-adjusted setting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting for me. Uh, they, It's not like Rodgers hasn't gotten touchdown production this year, but obviously it's all passing, and he's only eighth in the league in passing touchdowns. And there are guys who have missed time who are either ahead of him or just behind him. So when it really works out to it, like on a week to week basis, is he really a top 10 touchdown passer? No. Is he producing the yards you would want from a fantasy quarterback? Definitely not. Again, 13th. Other quarterbacks have missed time. He hasn't. They're not a good red zone offense. Green Bay, they're 24th in touchdown percentage, 15th. Uh, and red zone offensive DVOA, but that obviously hasn't translated to the fantasy points you would want to see. It's just a weird year for Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to call him washed. I don't want to do that. Uh, But he's not putting together the type of numbers that you would expect from a back-to-back MVP. And as somebody who two weeks ago was in the bind of all binds and had to choose between Jared Goff in a bad matchup and Aaron Rodgers, I went with Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff underperformed that week and still would have been a better choice than Aaron Rodgers in a game his team won. It's truly a year where the Packers seem to have decided that they don't care about Aaron Rodgers numbers. Whereas in other years, it's been like, oh, we're at the one yard line. Let's make sure Aaron gets his passing touchdown. This year, it's like, we just got to win this game and we'll win it as ugly as we need to. Uh, And consistently, week in, week out, no 300 yard passing games, no three touchdown games. Like this is just the weirdest Aaron Rodgers year you could possibly imagine. Yeah, yards per attempt, uh, you know, really, really low for Rodgers. No 300 um, or no uh, no 20 point fantasy games, I should say. I think he has thrown for three touchdowns once or twice.
0: Uh he has. He has once. Once. Yeah. Uh, against so the, 20 points in that game. Yeah, against the Dallas Cowboys and Jackson. That's only because he threw 20 times in that game. Like, it was a low-volume game for Rodgers. We get to my point of, like, a low point for yards per game, a low point for – not a, you know, lowest since 2015 for yards per attempt. Uh, Like, really, really down in passing touchdowns. He also just might not hit 4,000 yards this season, a thing he hasn't done since 2015. Uh, like it's a real it's a real down year for Rogers, and I'm really interested to see uh, like what he looks like in the Jets uniform next year. Uh, <laughs> you don't
1: <laughs> uh, think we're getting Derek Carr, Kale?
0: Well, I'd, I'd rather the Jets didn't have Derek Carr. Uh, mm-hmm. If I had to pick one, I'd still pick Rogers. Uh, it's yeah, that's a I mean maybe that's a separate separate take we could talk about at the end of the show. It's just I think I I wonder what the situation with Rogers is next year and if. Green Bay elects to move on from him uh, in any sort of capacity, because that is going to become a relatively untenable contract for them at some point, especially as they try. Uh, like they've got Aaron Jones on it. Well, I think it's like an APY of year or something. Like it gets crazy for Jones at one point. Uh, they're trying to like build a defense. All their wide receivers are pretty much cost controlled right now. Uh, getting those on that deal was huge or on the one year at least. Uh, like they're going to have costs coming up and, and Rodgers from a performance level is becoming somewhat untenable. He hasn't played totally poor, but like the receivers haven't kind of like matched the energy, I guess. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. It, from just a this week perspective, it's a little risky, but I like the logic. I like the logic a lot, especially just going off opponent adjusted stuff.
1: Because one of his... I just worry about the like, the the you are who we thought you were aspect of all this where maybe this is the week where Aaron Rodgers finally puts together a big fantasy week. It hasn't happened all year. So it's got to happen eventually. I just don't, I I'm done. I'm done hoping for that week to come around. I'd rather find us, you know, an option elsewhere that has shown the ability to do it in this season.
0: One note I will give before we move on uh, his worst game of the year uh, is against uh, the uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, but it did come in week one. 22 for 34, 195 yards, uh, one interception, no touchdowns, and four sacks. Uh, It is his only game of the season without a touchdown. It is the second game of the season that he had four sacks. Uh, Not a fantastic game for Rodgers against the Vikings, but that was also week one. So we'll see how things adjust, especially because the Packers have looked a lot better of late. Well said, Kel. Maybe it can happen. One more fantasy take for us comes from the fantasy footballers, and it becomes, or it comes on a player who's been of the, uh, the ire of the fantasy community in recent weeks after what was projected of him And how he's let us down, or not us, I don't have any stock in Mike Evans, but how he's let a lot of people down in recent weeks. One of the fantasy footballers picked Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a start of the week and tacked on a guarantee touchdown. Touchdown guarantee. Let's hear the explanation. My
1: wide receiver start of the week. I'm doing it.
3: This is silly.
1: It's Mike Evans, baby! (laughs) Taking on the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Look at the
0: the variance has just has bounced the absolute wrong way for Mike Evans
3: because his targets are where they need to be, his receptions, his yards, like everything is where it needs to be, except for the touchdowns. He has nine end zone targets on the year. Only three have turned into touchdowns. Look at 2021, thirteen end zone
0: targets ends the year with 14 total touchdowns, sixteen end zone targets in 2020, thirteen touchdowns. So it's not in. The Enzo targets are there. They just have not converted, but since Week 3 Carolina ranks 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points to the wide receiver position, I think Mike Evans comes through. So I'm doing it. Touchdown guarantee, baby. Jackson. Mike Evans start of the week against the Carolina Panthers with a touchdown
1: guarantee. Put it on the meter. This is a juicy one. Um it's hot a guy who only has three touchdowns on the season being your touchdown guarantee. That's pretty high. I will say it's worked out for the fantasy footballers before on this show to give a touchdown guarantee to a Tampa Bay Bucs wide receiver, Chris Godwin, who at the time had zero on the season. I think it was week 10. So pretty good sample size there. Maybe they just have a little bit of, you know, a, a, sense about the tampa bay bucks wide receivers perhaps a little bit of fortune telling ability uh because otherwise i can't figure out why you would trust any piece of this offense carolina is a decent matchup specifically against wide receivers they're allowing the 25th or they're yeah they're 25th in defending wide receiver one so eighth most points allowed to wide receivers but are you really want to trust the tampa bay like i i don't know Mike Evans, in the first matchup against Carolina, it was either first or second drive of the game, breaks free, has 10 yards of separation on the entire secondary, just right through the hands, never get it. Entire team never gets a touchdown for the rest of the game. Are you sure that is the offense and the player that you want to put your trust in? Maybe so, I don't know. Um, Just a couple more Mike Mike Evans career notes. Uh, Hasn't had... Fewer than eight touchdowns in any season since 2018. Again, he's at three this year. Uh, he had three in his second season, which was Jameis Winston's rookie year. Uh, and every year since, I mean, 2020 and 2021, Brady's first two years, he's got 27 combined touchdowns and only three this year. Clearly something is amiss, but I will say Mike Evans, the master of getting to 1,000 yards, is at 917 And if Tampa wins this game, they'll pretty much lock up the division. So if Tampa wins this game, I would say it's pretty much a guarantee that Mike Evans is getting you at least 83 yards. Why not throw a touchdown in there on top of it just because things seem to work out for the soothsayers at the fantasy footballers?
0: Jackson, everything that you said about that that last matchup against the Carolina Panthers is exactly why I'm saying that this is a hot take, and I will ride with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, like anecdotally, you've got you've got to have a bounce back game. If that if that touchdown drop sticks in my mind from how many times I've replayed it since it happened, it damn sure sticks in Mike Evans's mind. Uh, that's a guarantee. Also helps. J.C. Horn is out. That's a big loss. Yeah,
1: if he's one on one with Josh Norman, I see the vision. Yeah,
0: 35-year-old Josh Norman. It'll be a uh it'll be a quarterback wide receiver battle for sure. Uh <laughs> not sure what way or the other that'll be. Uh I just like I, I like it a lot. And I think better team prevails. Like I think it's just like, listen, Carolina Pan we've gotten a lot of like Darling NFL stories this year. It's like early Seahawks kind of mid-season Lions, like, uh, what's going on in Chicago with uh, Justin Field, even the Jaguars making a push late for the AFC South. We've gotten a lot of, like, oh, cool, these are the scrappy young guys. Like, they're, they're really doing cool stuff in the NFL. Like, the kind of sad and down-and-out teams that have been, like, pretty pathetic in recent years uh, are doing okay. Or, like, the teams that we, like, chalked up to fail are succeeding succeeding that's pretty cool uh the Panthers are absolutely one of those teams and like the kind of tear that they've been on uh in a like in the Steve Wilkes era has been really cool to see I think the buck stops here no pun like actual no pun intended uh but like the Buccaneers are just a better they're a better football team uh Tom Brady uh will win this game off spite and anger alone Uh, he like, he's not going to shoot this whole season and not get a playoff berth in his age 45 season. Like there's at some point, some things have to give, uh, and I just, I just think it, it, they click this week. I I think they pull out all the stops. I think they really try. Like, I don't know. Carolina is a pretty one-dimensional team. Buccaneers defense has been solid all year. Buccaneers offense, while underwhelming, still has, like, Tom Brady weapons and are getting potentially Ryan Jensen back. Not sure. He's at least coming back from injury. Uh, or, like, uh, he's been designated to return from practice. That offensive line battle is going to be tough. Like, you're now on tackles four and five on the year because Worths is out. Uh, the backup the Donovan Smith is out. Uh, Donovan Smith also out. Uh, So you're going to be really, really banged up on that line going against Brian Burns and uh, Shaq Thompson. But I, you know, I still see the vision on Mike Evans. I think they get like a lot of quick passes. I think there'll be one or two opportunities for them to strike deep. I think there'll be some creative stuff where they can get Evans free. I like it.
1: Yeah, to me, this is a Godwin game because I think they're going to have to get the ball out quick because their offensive line is being held together with horse glue. Uh, and maybe there are still a couple deep opportunities that Mike Evans is going to have to uh, capture on those. But I'm going the other way on this matchup in general, Kale, just because I said it in the Staff Picks article this week, I'm tired of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2022. They've had three 10-plus point fourth-quarter comebacks all against terrible teams, and if any of them doesn't pan out, they're not in first place right now. So I just, I don't, you know what? One of these has to break the other way. One of these... Awful games where they don't show up and still somehow eke out a win has to go the other way. And I, the last thing I'll say about this matchup, Buccaneers 30th in special teams, Carolina ninth. I think we get a blocked punt, block field goal, punt return for a touchdown, muff punt, something bad goes against the Bucs and in the Panthers' favor in the special teams phase this week. So
0: it was a big slice, one-eighth of that DVOA pie, but it seems to matter a lot in a lot of games. That's right. Let's get into our pick section. Marco D'Angelo from Bet on It, Wager Talk TV. Houston Texans cover in a trap game against the
3: Jaguars? The Houston Texans. Yeah, you heard that correctly. The Houston Texans plus the four and a half in this one against Jacksonville. Why? Well, let's look at Jacksonville. They're in a horrible, horrible scheduling spot. This is their fourth road game in five weeks. Jacksonville's on fat and sassy alert. Uh, After winning last week on Thursday night football against the Jets, they combined with Tennessee losing again. Guess what? Jacksonville, if the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. Who would have thunk that a month ago? The Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. Now, with that said, the only way they don't make the playoffs is to lose next week to Tennessee. That's what it all comes down to. So they're in a precarious spot here. This game really doesn't mean anything. It is a trap for them. Will they fall into it? I think so. Who would have thunk it? Who would have?
0: Texans covering against the Jaguars put it on the meter.
1: And can I give it extra bonus points for using the phrase... X team is quote on fat and sassy alert. Cause that's a new one. And I'm going to pick that up and start using it. Jackson- I hope you <laughs> Maybe don't. Jacksonville is hope on you fat don't. and sassy alert. I like it. I really
0: hope you don't.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still hot. Cause it's still the Texans. Like they got their win last week. Now, if they win, they're messing up the number one pick. And I think Jacksonville, yes, this is their fourth road game in five weeks, but I also still think they want this one. A there's a, one in a thousand chance that they get the AFC seven seed by winning this week and losing next week. And two, they want that winning season in year two of Trevor Lawrence, year one of Doug Peterson. They want that for the resume. They want to establish that they're the team to beat in this, in this division going forward. They don't want to leave anything to chance. And they gave the Texans their first win of the season way back in week five or six. Uh, in an awful fashion, 13-6, to 6, ugly football game. I think they've got revenge on their minds, and I do not believe that the Texans can find a way to piece it together for what would essentially be a fourth week in a row and eke out a win here against a team that I find vastly superior to the Tennessee team Houston managed to barely squeak by last week. Saying, okay,
0: saying put it together for a fourth week in a row, uh, I think discredits the Texans because I think they're just a team that's better than their record like I think they're just like a de- like a decently competent football team again like decently competent is going to get you far in the NFL but I think they've had like the opposite experience to the Minnesota Vikings where like they can play hard and lose they lose one score games they get completely blown out and others like they're catching some bad like I don't know they're really not as bad as their record says and I yeah. think if like if they're
1: everyone's trap game how can they be the Jags trap game if they've already lost to him once in the season? If, the, if they're taking the Chiefs by surprise, if they're taking the Cowboys by surprise, if they're beating a Titans team who's used to running all over them but has to play Malik Willis instead of Ryan Tannehill, like, isn't all that different than having to beat a Jags team that's already been embarrassed by them once and really wants to lay the hammer this time around?
0: Yeah, at some point, like you said, if it's if it's everyone's trap game, it's no one's trap game, right? Like At some point, they're just an expected roadblock. Uh, I also will go against this take. I think it's like I, I think it's hot from the perspective of like I like the logic and I get it. I also just don't think that like Doug Peterson said like we're not resting anybody. And it's it's like what has hurt the Eagles before? It's kind of what ended the Peterson. Uh, like Peterson kind of went back on that tenure with the uh, with the old let's bench our guy to get a better pick <laughs> uh, headed into the playoffs. Uh, like he's, he's gone against that in the past, but I respect the fact that they're like, they're going uh, rest or they're going rust over rest where it's like, we're not like Tennessee bench their guys Tuesday night. They benched Eric Henry. They're making sure that Tannehill is as healthy as possible for this game. Jaguars are trying to come in. And he
1: on IR, so he ain't playing this game. Oh, yeah,
0: no. He got he got uh he's done for the year. Uh I thought there was an inkling they were still gonna try and play him, but uh well, that was not anymore. That was a tight rope, yeah. Uh Jaguars trying to come in this game hot though. Like that's the that's the logic of it. They're going to play hard in this game and they're going to win. I just don't know if they cover. Like, that's my thing. I I don't know. If like maybe fourth quarter, if it's like a, th- if it's a, you know, a 17 point game, they're like, yeah, Trevor come out. Like maybe then they rest and then maybe the Texans make a two touchdown push. Who knows? Uh, like I, I, I think probably odds will say, uh, I'd take Jaguar in most situations to cover this four and a half spread.
1: Hey, I mean, maybe it's destiny. Last week we gave pick six podcast Chris Rabin a chance to take the Texans. He wins. Most of his argument centers around Malik Willis not really being an NFL quarterback yet, and he is borne out to be pretty correct. And in this game, Trevor Lawrence is an NFL quarterback kill. He's gonna get the job done. Is- I think they're I think they're covering the four and a half. That's my inkling. But we give everyone a chance on this show to take their terrible team and the points and see if it works out. So perhaps fates will shine kindly on Marco D'Angelo this week. Well,
0: Jackson, it's come to that point of the show. It we has- cannot be the arbiter of takes without putting some takes out of our own. you want to kick us off this week, Jackson?
1: I think that the Green Bay Packers and the New York Jets, a barrage of green. If you will. We'll get the seven seeds in their respective conferences. 20 to 1 if you were to parlay those together. Uh just used a basic parlay calculator for that. But the Jets are currently plus 650 for the seven seed in the AFC. And the Packers are plus 190 in the NFC. Let me just break it down for you. Yes, the Jets have some bad mojo in the building after the last few Zach Wilson weeks, but they're in Seattle this week. Another team who has lost a lot of games recently, lost a lot of confidence in themselves, losing some offensive weaponry. Win that game, and you face off against Miami next week. I would say likely still a Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. I hope it's still Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback because I want to pursue preserve the long term health of Tua Tagovailoa. All they have to do is win those two games and then get one loss along the way from the New England Patriots. Yes, those New England Patriots who suffered one of the worst losses in modern football history uh, and not only faces the Dolphins this week, but the Bills next week, who always make mincemeat of this current Patriots team. I see the vision. I think it's good value, plus 650 on the Jets. And why not couple it with the Green Bay Packers who would need to win this Vikings game? and next week's Lions game and get a loss from the Washington Commanders somewhere along the line. I think it's all going to happen. 20-1 to feels like good odds, even though there are a lot of things that can go wrong. I'm just going to do it. And do it you will.
0: I don't hate it. I'm still holding on to my uh, Lions make the playoffs bid. Uh, So it's going to take a lot more for them to make it, obviously. It's the same
1: uh, thing. Same record, same everything. They just gotta win these two games and get a commander's loss.
0: Yeah. The uh the win against the Packers is gonna be the tough thing, though. Uh, because Packers, uh, like the Bears, seem to pretty consistently own the Lions. I do think this is a bit of a different Lions team, but I I don't think they're better equipped or better suited to like make a push in the playoffs. I just would prefer them to, you know, really Really end of the year strong with a week five, one and four Lions make the playoffs pick. Uh The Jets pick I like a lot. I, I love the Jets pick at Jackson. Instead of putting this on the meter, my pick, I'm actually going to help you out. The Teddy Bridgewater led Miami Dolphins not only cover, but beat the New England Patriots in week 17. This is a broken New England Patriots team, spiritually and and morally. Like, it it is all but dead. Uh, I do not understand how this this Patriots team continues to play week in and week out without just uh, fully imploding. Uh, This is a Dolphins team, I think, that can't... Like, I get that this Patriots defense is good and that Belichick has now gotten to this stage where he's seen a Dolphins team four straight weeks get kind of answered, either answered defensively or just beaten outright by a better team. I think Belichick will have a very good defensive game plan, but what I also saw against the Packers is there were inklings of the Miami Dolphins offense starting to counter cover two defenses. Joe wasn't afraid to actually take some cover two hole shot. The offense was looking to kind of send some outbreakers toward the sidelines against cover two. They weren't attacking the middle as much, but when they did, they're trying to get crosses and they're trying to bring guy, like multiple guys in to create openings, kind of pull a guy out and... Fill a guy in in the inner or like you know on the second route. Problem is, it's not going to be two. It's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. Still think Teddy Bridgewater is a pretty capable quarterback. Saw so Carolina. You saw it in Denver. Like he's okay. He served, He's a serviceable backup in a league that we've seen a lot of serviceable backups. Geno Smith is a replacement level quarterback, but starter. Jacoby Brissett, who probably should still be starting. Uh, If they didn't have a fully guaranteed quarterback to commit to Uh, Brock Purdy doing really cool things in San Francisco, it was a product of San Francisco, Mike McDaniel. I think Miami handles their business gets their win this week. And then I think the jets win. I think they kind of do like a win one for the Gipper thing where they pull one out for two and they have a motivated win against a pretty hated division rival And then they sputter out. But I think this week they've got the Patriots.
1: I don't hate that take at all. And let me just add that we have not had a chance really for Teddy Bridgewater to start and finish his own game this year. You'd think you've seen a lot of Teddy Bridgewater, but he comes in when Tua gets hurt in the Cincinnati game, throws 23 passes, can't finish the job in a win there. Uh, starts the game against uh, the Jets the next week, only to immediately suffer his own injury, throws one pass, and immediately they have to turn it over to Skylar Thompson. And then he plays a lot the following week against Minnesota in the 24-16 loss, but uh, Tyler Skylar Thompson starts that game. So we haven't had a week this year where it's been Teddy's the starter, Teddy starts the game, Teddy plays the whole game, Teddy finishes the game. Hasn't happened. I like his odds this week to have... That stability, knowing that he's going to play the full game and probably get the job done against the Patriots team that has... I mean, we like vibes on this show, Cale. We love the vibe scale. The vibe scale is astronomically low on the Pats right now. Yeah, Jackson, the vibes are astronomically bad
0: for this New England Patriots team. That's what was like... It's kind of a spite pick for me, a little bit, because I'm like just so done as a, as a person who watches football professionally and has to make predictions about the NFL, I'm pretty done with the New England Patriots just as a concept right now, just as a team that I still have to technically care about because of playoff eligibility. Uh, I don't want to watch them anymore. And I, want them to be, I want them to be eliminated for the playoffs. That's kind of, my, it's kind of my MO in this, but I also think there's a lot of things I've seen in Dolphins tape this year that would allow for a little bit of, uh, you know, them them winning that game outright instead of covering from a two and a half point spread.
1: Fair enough. Uh, is Teddy Bridgewater Kale the oldest or the youngest thirty year old you've ever seen? Because he just turned thirty in the middle of this season. I you could have convinced me he was thirty five. Uh, You could have also convinced me he was still only 26 and had just been traded and moved around so much. So I don't know how to feel about the fact that he is now 30 years old playing for his fifth NFL franchise.
0: Uh, I don't know. Things went south after that uh, really gruesome uh, 2016 leg injury in Minnesota. I thought he could have been a guy to build on. And I think the reason he's bounced around is because he's so serviceable. Like he's like because he's like still a competent NFL quarterback, but never got like the full developmental push to kind of, you know, make that next step. It's not like a crazy high ceiling guy, but I think he's good enough to actually kind of hold his own, which is why, you know, I'm picking.
1: Seven and seven last year in Denver. You think Denver would take seven and seven this year? I think they would. And he almost threw for four
0: thousand yards in Carolina despite going four and eleven. Like he's he's okay. It's exactly well, maybe, well, maybe <laughs> next time we'll start constructing some Teddy Bridgewater takes, but that'll do it for us this week at The Takeaway. Thank you as always for watching. Thank you as always for listening. Please check out the sources that we use for The Takeaway in the description down below because we wouldn't be able to do The Takeaway without the rest of the NFL Take landscape fueling us So we got to give back in some capacity. Want to shout out our sponsors, underdog fantasy friends at underdog fantasy. Did your season long fantasy teams miss the playoffs Jackson?
1: Uh, No, but they didn't make it far. That's for sure. Well, Jackson play underdog fantasy
0: with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code outsiders play underdogs, battle Royale, a fast six round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You could even win $50,000 if you grab first place, or you could try their pick em game, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states, where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy set around. Join the funnelboard over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. You can also sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Last but certainly not least, join us at the FO Discord. In-game conversation every single game. This is a robust Discord with a lot of activity, a lot of great conversation. And I couldn't recommend enough that you get well, that'll do it for this week at The Takeaway. For Jackson, I'm Kale. We'll see you next week.